Okay, for our sermon today, it will be brought to us by Mr. Matthew Still. It is entitled, Seeking the Kingdom, Part 2, The Kingdom of God. Good afternoon, everyone. That was a really good uh, discussion in the Bible study. And it's kind of interesting, I was a little... Uh, behind schedule on studying the Bible study this week. And so I had started formulating my ideas for the sermon today, really before digging into the subject material of, of uh, today's uh, review. And so you can't blame me for another review of the Bible study, um, because a lot of what I drew out of other scriptures just aligned so perfectly with, with what we've just discussed and been studying. If you'll remember the, uh, the beginning passage on today's uh, part of the study was from James chapter 1 verses 9 through 11 and it said, let the lowly brother glor- glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with the burning heat than it withers, uh, than it withers the grass. It, the flowers, uh, flower falls and it, its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. And, you know, we've, we've talked about it. Um, it doesn't, uh, doesn't seem like a very positive, uplifting scripture, does it? <laughs> You know, it's got lots of challenges here. But James was speaking a universal truth, as we've all been discussing, that the pursuit of wealth, of possessions, of money, of property, of anything material in the end is empty and worthless. Think of that. How much of our life is spent in the pursuit of those things. And, you know, we might say, well, they're, they're in pursuit of those things for these other reasons. And some of those other reasons may be noble. They may be transcendent. You know, they may be of greater value than the materialistic things that we're engaging in. And, and that's true. But that's not all of the truth, is it? These things that seem so important to us will in the end mean nothing. And even if we're successful in obtaining our earthly desires, what happens? The maintenance of that becomes a burden. The care of that wealth and the care of that property, the care of the things that we obtain, then becomes something that we have to maintain. We have to keep fences around and we have to keep it secure. We have to do whatever is necessary to keep the value in that material, in that materialistic wealth. Have you experienced that? Experienced having to, I don't know, keep up a house, you know? And you buy a house, well, now you own it. Even if the bank mostly owns it, you now have to maintain it, don't you? And you have to keep it secure. You have to keep the locks in place. You have to paint it on the outside. You have to protect the foundation or do all of these things to keep this house. 
clothing, property, a certain amount of wealth, and now you start to um, be concerned about that. So what do you have to do? Well, you have to pay somebody in case somebody else takes it from you. It's called insurance, right? Now we have to insure all the things that we worked hard to get against fire or theft or whatever else that may come along and, and damage that. And it's like, my goodness, this is getting really expensive to own all of these things that we so desired in our heart. I remember buying what I call my first real car. Because my first car was almost a gift. It was a mini you know, one of those English minis. It had a 750cc engine in it and several holes in the floor that if you went over puddles just right, you'd get a squirt of water coming up in, inside. But it only cost me 50 pounds, about $75. It was a gift. But it wasn't going to last more than 12 months because there was no way it was going to pass its vehicle inspection. So before the end of that, I thought, well, I've either got to invest a bunch of money in this, like, 24-year-old Mini or whatever it was, or buy a new car. Well, I mean, I'm a young man. I need a new car. Of course. A nice new car with a fuel-injected engine and one that I could actually pass trucks without having to be a wind at my back going downhill which was basically the Mini. And uh, truck drivers would have fun with me on that when i try and pass them. So, yeah, I get this car, drive it home, delicately trying to bring it into the driveway, very narrow English driveway, scrape a bunch of paint off the wing mirror. Haven't even had it for, I don't know, 30 minutes. But that didn't stop me from care of that car and polishing the paint, you know, and keeping it clean. And as, you know, Sean was talking about earlier, you know, not eating in this car. Unfortunately, I never ended up with a green hood, you know, so it was that. But what happened to that car? And all the insurance that I paid for that car, where's that car now? I mean, this is 26 or more years ago. It's probably in a junkyard somewhere, right? or really beaten up if it's still on the road, or melted down and turned into something else. And yet, I was spending a good portion of my then very low salary to buy this car, and all the things that I thought came with it. Well, it looked cool, for one. It was fuel injection, so I could go from a stop. It was a Gia, Mark, do you remember that? Ford Escort Gia. It was all, you know, the trend. Such a waste of resources, really. I could have invested in a much less expensive vehicle. I, I needed one. I needed to get to work. But these things that we desire, right, they become these burdens to us even when we have them, even when we're successful. So this concept that James is giving us about our pursuit of wealth and the importance of that in our life and the questions he builds around that, well, he didn't get that all by himself. He got it, of course, from his rabbi, his teacher, his savior. And this, this is the passage of scripture that was really in my mind in preparation for this, 
this sermon. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We've looked at this scripture how many different times? This is not a new scripture to us. But what do you think about when you, when you read that scripture? What is Jesus telling you to do? What's in your mind when you're thinking about that? You know, I've always thought, well, surely Jesus is not saying don't invest in your 401k. Right? Surely he's not saying don't buy a house so that you can live in it and, and not live on the street. I mean, he, he, he's not saying that, right? Is he saying don't prepare for the future? What is he saying in this passage? Because we like the idea that, well, yeah, it's true. He says, you know, let's put our treasure in heaven. But he doesn't mean certain treasures we can have down here. Right? We want to carve out some exceptions to the rule. But what does he say? He doesn't really give us a lot of wiggle room, does he? The things that we treasure here on earth, he said, do not treasure those things. Put your treasure in heaven, in the kingdom of heaven, in reserve, right, for that kingdom that's coming to this earth. He really doesn't give us a lot of room for maneuver. There's no exceptions, except in the case of subpart B, paragraph 4, you want this. So this is a pretty big challenge to us. What is our treasure? What is Jesus saying about where we are going to put treasure? There are certain things that we are, it's like we're built to have treasures. We're built for it, clearly. Because we all have them. We all have things that we treasure. And so that the question is, what is it that Jesus is asking us to focus on? And is he really saying that we should not have wealth and possessions. I think what he's getting at, obviously, and we talked about this earlier, uh, very eloquently in lots of different comments, it's about the heart, isn't it? It's about our heart, what is important to our heart, where we're putting our focus. Is it the pursuit of wealth and financial security? Is it, is it just enough to get by, or is it to be really successful? Is it those physical, material things, or is our heart orientated toward the spiritual things? What is it? Jesus says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore, the, if therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What else is Jesus saying here? Because 
that we, we shouldn't be financially responsible, that we shouldn't be responsible for our, our financial situation. I think that's exactly what he's saying. I don't think there's any room to maneuver out of this. Now, I'm not telling you to withdraw your 401k and go give it away. But I am telling you that Jesus is telling each one of us a specific message here in this scripture as it pertains to us. I don't know your heart. You don't know my heart. We don't know the intentions of one another's heart. But Jesus does. And he's telling us to be really, really careful here about what we set our hearts on. And then he says about what we set our eye on. And that's a really interesting scripture. You know, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but when I've read that in the past, I've almost thought of it as, and this is completely wrong, <laughs> that the eyes are looking out. You know, that it's that if I have my eye is right, I see the world correctly. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is what comes into the eye is projected into the mind and into the heart, right? Which is really what the is all about. We have a perception as though it's so that we can see, but we're not projecting what we see, are we? We're receiving what we see. And so where our focus is, he says, is going to be that important part. This sounds pretty harsh. That Jesus is telling us that we should not be concerned about wealth, our financial situation, anything material in this world. And we, we read later in the, in the passage, about food and drink, basic things. He says, that should not be our goal. That should not be our goal. This is radical. This is hard to hear. And yet, this is true. This is the guy that went along to some fishermen who had a business, who in some cases had a family. You need to leave all of that and follow me drop it. Follow me. This is the guy that went to a tax collector. Wealthy guy. A tax collector. Making some good pay from uh, the Roman authorities and maybe a little bit extra on the side. Leave all of that. and Come follow me. And live on the ground. Sleep on the ground. Be reliant upon just what others give and support of this ministry. This is the God that we serve. This is Jesus. He didn't make it easy. He is demanding a lot from us. It's radical. But he's not uncaring. All of this is coming to us because he cares for us. He's making these statements. He's trying to get to our heart and trying to help us adjust what our goals are in life because he loves us. He is, in a sense, and we'll, we'll dig into this a little bit later, asking us to exchange the goals that we have in life, the desires that we have in life, the needs that we have in life, and exchange them with him for something else. He's actually saying, you are no longer financially responsible for your own life. 
God is. This is pretty radical. So, remember that the purpose of Jesus' teaching here is to try and get us to understand and to focus on the condition of our hearts. He uses, as I said before, the analogy of the eye to show us what condition our heart will be depending on what we are targeting at, right? That, that it's a lamp that shines something in our hearts, and it could be light, and it can be darkness. He says, look, what you're focusing on with the eye, your actual eye and your mind's eye will affect your heart and your soul. It will change your heart for good or bad. He says, if therefore your eye is good, the whole body will be full of light. And the word good here actually means if your eye is single or, or a single-minded, like purposeful, simply focused on one thing, essentially, is the, the inference. If we are one thing focused above all the other things we can look at, if we are focused on one thing, and it's a specific thing, of course, then our heart, our inside, is full of light. The second part of that teaching is that if your eye is bad or toilsome or envious, right, or desirous of all of the things that are out here, all of the distractions that we have, if that's what our eye is drawn to, and that's where we're focused, he says the whole body will be full of darkness. And the way he says it, it's almost like it's not just full of darkness. It's like projected in darkness. It's almost like the inverse of light. It's not just an absence of light. Darkness is poured in there. And we know that to be the case. We've experienced that. Jesus says, how great is that darkness. That is just a void, a blackness. Remember, I said this is radical. This is what Jesus is trying to get us to understand, that we should have a radically different approach to how we view our life, view our life's goals, view the things that we are targeting or aiming at. He continues in verse 24, he says, No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or money, or wealth. So, that's pretty plain, isn't it? I don't know how else he could say it to make it more plain. You're either serving one or you're serving the other. You can't serve both. You can't serve both. And which would we like? Would we like to serve God that provides for us or serve wealth that we provide for it? And think of that. It, it, he uses the term as a servant. It, we're actually serving wealth when we're striving for that, that that's our goal in life. We are striving for that wealth. Are you serving two masters? Am I serving two masters? I, I don't know your heart. You don't know mine. 
you know your, your own, right? We each know our heart, or should. Certainly, we were talking earlier some really good points about being self-aware about what our goals are in life and what is in our heart. Are we serving two masters? Am I wanting to serve God but focusing on gaining wealth? Am I growing resentful of God because he does not bless me in the goals that I want for my wealth, for my material value? Remember, Jesus said, you'll resent one or hate one and love the other. So this is a mixture of what can go on in our heart. He is God. How much does he own? Everything. God owns everything. It would just be so easy, wouldn't it, for him to, to just bless every Christian in the entire world with more than enough, right? So that we would never have to work. We won't have to earn our keep. Lord, we could evangelize for you every minute of every day, right? We could, we could share the good news with everybody. And everybody's going to jump on board because you get unlimited funds in your bank account when you become a Christian, right? We could, we could think that like that. Trouble is, that was tried already. It was really done. It was really tried. And how we reacted to it was proof that that kind of plan would never work. I'm, of course, talking about the Old Covenant. If you just do this, I will bless you. You'll, you'll have blessings coming out of your ears. It'll be overflowing. There won't be enough place to store all of these blessings. And, of course, we read, what did they do? Huh? Rebelled. And, and they rebelled in a way that they didn't think they were rebelling, but they were because they just took all that wealth and they went off to play. Let's have fun. Let's pleasure ourselves. Let's get everything that we wanted because we have all of this wealth. And it's a, it's a very much a story of God pulling that back. Oh, and then they repent. And then and back and forth and back and forth. It doesn't work, does it? It doesn't work. In Luke chapter 12 and verse uh, 13, Jesus kind of came across the same desire and thinking, and it, it led him to this, to this parable that, that we know of. So here's Jesus. He's talking about deep spiritual things, and then completely off topic, there's a guy from the back who's clearly not been listening, and he yells out, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the, the inheritance with me. be like somebody yelling that out now after we've just talked about the James Bible study and about everything that I'm talking about. So out of context. What is wrong with this guy? And Jesus says to him, man, I think it's funny, it's like, man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? And he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke to them a parable, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, 
What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater barns. And there I will store all my crops and goods. And I will, I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Just take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Again, uh, you know, very familiar passage, right? But it's really interesting because in here, I think is a temptation then to think, oh, well, it, okay, it's okay for me to pursue wealth and riches as long as I'm giving enough of it to God. Right? I mean, somebody could kind of try and read that. Well, he laid up treasure for himself and wasn't rich toward God. So if I just, you know, tithe and then maybe an extra offering, that'll appease God and I'll have all this other stuff. Sounds pretty good. But what is that? That's prosperity doctrine, right? That, that's a pretty common, unfortunately, philosophy. But it's the same mindset that, that Israel had. It's the same mindset of the Old Covenant, unfortunately, because of their sin. That's not what he meant. That's not what God meant here. God has no need for us to provide him material wealth, right? So what are, we, what are we really giving to him? If we give 20%, 30%, 50% tithe, what are we, is he going to be richer? Going to buy himself a, you know, a new car? I mean, it's all to do with our heart, isn't it? All of that giving is to do with our heart and where we're putting our treasure. So remember the, when he'd said to Moses, after they had escaped Egypt, you know, they're still in the wilderness. I think they're at Sinai. Escaped uh, captivity. In Exodus 19, verse 3, it says, And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. What is God's treasure? How are we being rich toward God? By being his treasure. That's how we're being rich toward God. That's really, I think, what Jesus was getting at in that parable, that we are supposed to be rich toward God. You know, Israel had this covenant. They were supposed to be a treasure toward God. 
they were supposed to be fo- focused on him. Blessings aside, right? That's not how they approached it. It was supposed to be his own special treasure. But we are his special treasure now. You know, Peter talks about this in Second uh, Peter chapter 9. He says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, <clears throat> that you may proclaim the praises of him, called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We can't do that, can we? If our focus is on all the things of the world and all the darkness that we can suck in through our eyes, but we can be that treasure when we're full of the light, when we have that single focus of looking at and seeking the kingdom of God. But we have to focus on that. We have to focus on the light. We can't be distracted by all these other things. On the kingdom of God, on being his treasure, on being the treasure that he carried himself he said about Israel, on eagles' wings. He's borne us out of that slavery. He's delivered us. He set us in a place. We, we have this fun memory uh, in, our, in our house. Um, Renee, help me with the details if I forget. But So our current house, we had uh, signed a contract, and it was getting built, and we we're still trying to sell our own old house, right? And and it's coming down to the wire, and we're closing, and we close on our old house, and we move moving in, and um, we we still haven't offloaded the old house. <laughs> we're like, two mortgages are not a great idea. <laughs> Talking about goal of wealth, right? And was it a scripture that we had that day? You remember the rest of it? The Lord secured our lot. It was uh, on a calendar, right, that we had. So, you, you know, you just get some of those scriptures that, that are come at the right moment. And this makes me think of that, that, that God has secured our financial situation because he took care of that. We're like ringing our realtor, are you, what are you doing to move this thing? You've got to sell this thing. And that day I was going to call him and say, never mind, turn it into a rental. I can't afford both mortgage payments here without extra money coming in. Well, he called me and said, I got a contract on it. The Lord secured our lot, right? It's a challenge, though, right? Because we've we've got these things that we have to do in life, and we're struggling. It, it It is a struggle. God is demanding that our single focus be on the kingdom, his kingdom, and getting us to this, his kingdom, and being his treasure. Offering our hearts to him, completely open to him as his own special treasure. I think that's what it means to be rich toward God. Because when that rich man in that parable was then taking all of his wealth, then he was deciding to do what? Everything that he wanted in his heart and wasn't rich with his heart toward God. Peter says, you were not once not a people, but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, 
but now have obtained mercy. We are his special treasure, priceless. And how would you feel if you had a priceless treasure that went away from you, that turned away from you and tried to give itself to someone else? This is radical. This is why, as I think James mentioned um, in answering one of the questions, Jesus said it was easier for a rich man to enter the, you know, go through the eye of a needle, right, than to enter into the kingdom of God. So turning back to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25, Jesus says more considering this then. He says, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Well, on the surface, <laughs> food and clothing, depending on the climate, seems pretty important to me, right? Or to all of us. And uh, I think uh, Curtis was talking about, you know, the wealth of the vast majority of the people that living in that time below the poverty line, right? 80%, something like that, 90%. So he's telling them, yeah, you're pretty poor, but don't worry about the meal that you don't have in the, in the pantry for tomorrow or even today. This is a pretty radical thing. <laughs> but if we're focused on the wrong things, well then, we might start to have an obsession about some of these things. I will uh, be vulnerable here for a minute, like my wife was earlier. <laughs> when I was growing up, we, we didn't have particularly a lot of money, and sometimes I would have holes in my shoes that I would insert some cardboard in there, you know, just fine when it was dry. But it's England, so it's hardly ever dry. Um, and so now I have way too many shoes, <laughs> right? There's like a compensation thing going on in these neural pathways. It's so powerful, you know? And I wouldn't put that in the classification of trauma, but we, we see those things, don't we? We see how we respond to maybe childhood experiences and then try and correct that. Well, I didn't have enough of that. I felt deprived or whatever the motivation but it's still taking my focus away from the kingdom of God. So if you all need some shoes, you can drop by the house. Um, I think I digress there. If we're focused on these material things, though, we're going to miss the purpose of our existence. And Jesus is saying it's not just about surviving. I mean, that's what he was talking about here. Don't worry about the food. And don't worry about the clothing. That's, I need that to survive. This is basic biology here. He's saying, stop focusing on that. He says, look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. 
Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which, is, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry. Do not obsess over. Do not make your central focus saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the nations seek. Or Gentiles there means nations. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. Just stop for a minute and think about that passage. Just consider what Jesus is, is trying to speak to our heart. Because, you know, I'm reading that and I'm thinking, okay, I can be a, a not a hunter, but a gatherer, you know. I'm not going to farm. I'll be like the birds and I can just go gather things. And my, my mind's going off in all kinds of different directions to how, how to justify how I could live by not having concern for what I will eat and what I will drink and what clothes I will wear. And just think about what he is asking us to do. God, the creator, owns everything. And he doesn't need any of this material stuff to, to keep himself running, right? He doesn't need any of that. And yet we do. And he's placed us in this materialistic world with all of the, the things around us, with all the resources and the minerals and the, the rocks and metals and oil and whatever else that we can draw out of the ground to make all the things that we have in our society. He's placed us in this physical world. And we're physical beings. We need nourishment on a regular basis. Or we die, right? What is he asking us here? He's made us dependent on all of these resources. And then he says, don't worry about them. It seems like a bad joke, right? And there's, there's, there's this incongruity to it. There's this dissidence in our minds. We want to do what he's saying, but how can we not do the other? It's easy for him to say this. He's God. You can't be hungry or cold or tired or thirsty He's not fearful in this life. He can't be robbed. He can't be beaten. He can't be killed. He's God. Except the person telling us this is God. But it's Jesus, who was a man. The one who made the physical beings that we are. The one who made this physical world and put us in enemy territory. He's the one that's telling us these things. And he does know what it's like to be hungry and thirsty and cold and hot. He does know what it's like to be in fear of his life. He does know what it was like to be robbed and to be beaten and to be killed. He knows completely what it's like he's telling us really deep truths here. In a passage that we kind of like to gloss over a little bit because 
<laughs> the depth of its meaning causes a big challenge for us. The writer of Hebrews said in chapter 12 and verse 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto who? Not wealth, not resources, not what we can get, garner together to help us in this race, looking solely to Jesus, our King, the very manifestation of the kingdom of God. Remember, I've talked about it in the past, in royalty, in monarchy, wherever the king goes, that is the kingdom. The king or the queen is the, the, the embodiment of that state, of that empire, of that kingdom. Wherever they go, they are sovereign territory of that kingdom. Looking to that kingdom, looking to Jesus himself, who lived in a manner in which he's now asking us to live. This is how he lived. He wasn't telling us anything that he was unfamiliar with. This is how he lived. And you might say, well, but he was the Savior. His sole purpose was to come here and save us and, and bring us into his kingdom. Yeah, it was. That was his singular focus. And everything else that didn't support that goal was eliminated, thrown aside. Why would he ask us to do any different? And all he's asking us is to do the same back to him for us so that we can enter into the kingdom of God with him. He says, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You've not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. We haven't yet paid that final price, have we, for our following our singular goal of following Jesus Christ. Everything that Jesus is telling us in Matthew chapter 6 is about being 100% completely focused on one thing only, and that's getting to the kingdom of God. That comes first. And he doesn't ask us to do anything that he wasn't willing to do himself. He was human just like us. The kingdom of God is his goal, his desire. And it's his desire that we're the treasure in that kingdom with it. That we are this special treasure. And he wants to make it a reality. He wants to make it a reality now. So that we can, can see that. We can see where we're going. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, he says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, God's righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry 
about its own things. Sufficient for the day is his own trouble. And isn't that so true? I mean, we can worry about tomorrow, but when we get to tomorrow, does that stop us worrying about what is now today? No, we just worry about it more. We worried about it yesterday, for today, and today we worry about today and also tomorrow. Right? He says, stop that. <laughs> There's a little bit more than that, but he's like, set that aside and make something else your goal. You have to replace material, physical goals with a single spiritual goal. And it's the goal that illuminates the hearts, that is shone in us. This is a tension. We have to reconcile this. We have to, we have to go in prayer individually, one-on-one -on -one with Jesus, and ask for how we do this in our own life. How you do it, how I do it, will be different. We're all in different places, right? We're in different situations. But this is critical that we get stuck into this and truly try and live this way and in this path. But there's something else that happens in all of this, and I mentioned it earlier. There's something amazing, really, and precious in this big demand. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Just again to remind you, he says, Therefore do not worry, saying what you shall eat, what you shall drink, and what you shall wear. Have all of these desires. He says, because your heavenly Father knows you need all of these things. So there's an exchange taking place. We are supposed to exchange something with God. Remember earlier I said at the beginning that we're supposed to give up responsibility for our financial, material security. We're supposed to give that up to God. And this is where it happens. This is the exchange that takes place. And you might say, well, how do I do that? Again, that's, that's with your heart and in prayer with God. Because he knows you've got, you need food. You need clothing. It's not appropriate to come to church naked. So you need clothing, right? You need a way to transport yourself around. You, you need some means of transportation. You've got a mortgage you, or rent. You've got medical bills. You've, you've got a pain in your tooth that you really need to go to the dentist on. And been putting it off because it's expensive. Because dentists have no worry about going after wealth. He knows all of these things. He knows we need these things. How precious is that? That he cares for us. He's not setting this impossible goal for what feels like an impossible goal. And then just saying, no matter what, you know, and then three days later you're dead. Well, he's in the kingdom. Because he didn't have any food or water and he died. That's not what he's talking about. But he is talking about knowing exactly what you need, what I need, and providing it for us. And it sounds crazy. 
But this is what Jesus is asking us to do. He does. In 1 Peter chapter 5, and verse 6, he says, Peter says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him. So he cares for me? For you? Yeah. And here's another question. Why wouldn't we do this? Who could possibly provide better for our life than God? Could we provide for our life better than God? I would rather have God take care of all the bills. I would rather have God provide the opportunities that I need in life to, to work, yes, and, but, but, but then from that, he's providing my food, my clothing. He's providing for my security. Who else could provide better than God? cares for us. We're exchanging these worries. We're exchanging these all-consuming worries and fears and anxiety about how we're going to achieve or provide. And we're not even talking about how can I get as rich as Elon Musk, right? We're just talking about how do I pay my bills and provide for my children and my grandchildren. This is basic stuff. He's saying, you give that to me. It's humility and it's trust. We do these things in exchange for what Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All of these things, all of these things that we need, and maybe even a few of our wants, God will take care of for us.